what a privilege it is to be in God's Word with you this, today. And as uh, Todd said, if you're a guest with us, I just want to welcome you into our home and so glad that you can be with us. We are back in Acts today. Come on, back in Acts, chapter 27. And as we dive in, I just want to tell you a story uh, that I experienced growing up. And so uh, I grew up about an hour from the Gulf of Mexico, and my dad was a big fisherman. And so he would go fishing once or twice a month. And we would go in the bay, you know, that's, that's typically where he would go. But this was the first time that I had ever been deep sea fishing. And so we woke up before uh, the sun came up and we headed out to Aransas Pass and we were gonna charter a boat to go deep sea fishing. And so we got there and I'm about eight years old and we're going with another family. And so they have a, a young boy as well, a good friend of mine. And uh, we see the boat, and it's bigger than any boat I'd, ha- I'd ever been on. You know, it's, it's kind of a two-story, double-decker uh, boat that can, you know, endure the ocean. And, and we get on, and I'm just so excited to be there. And, and the boat is essentially idling toward the dock. It's not tied up. The captain is getting on and off to load up the tackle and the bait and whatnot. And I'm watching him as he goes into the store and then comes back out and gets on the boat and then goes back off. And, and my friend Clay and I, we go into the cabin, and there's this big chrome wheel there, you know, where the captain would steer the ship, and, and there's a dashboard and all of these dials and all of these buttons and, and knobs and levers and whatnot, and people are, my dad's kind of loading on the ice chest, and he goes off to the truck to get some things, and uh, there I am in the cabin with my buddy, and, and, and I don't know why I did what I did, but, but for some reason, you know, I, I turned the wheel. I just grabbed that wheel, and, and I just turned it, and when I turned it, the boat took off backwards, started moving into the ocean, away from the dock. I look around, there's no one else but me and my nine-year-old friend, you know, and, and there I am. And, and his eyes are about this big, like, what did you do? And I'm like, I don't know. And, and, uh, and so I just start panicking. I'm talking level 10, level 11, panicking. And I'm like, I don't know what button makes this thing stop. How do we turn it off? Where's the key? You know, and it's just, it's just moving backwards. And, I, and what's going through my mind is I think I'm never going to see my family again. They're going to find us in China or something. Like, like, how do we get this thing to stop? Now, let me push pause right there for just a moment and, and ask you, do you ever feel like that in life? Like, like you're just going backwards, like you are completely out of control, things aren't going the way you thought they would. And and I don't know what that is as you came in here today. That could be a marriage that's spiraling out of control. That could be a child of yours that has gone off and made some really poor decisions. And as a parent, you're watching on, you just feel completely out of control. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's a work situation. Maybe you were laid off. Maybe it's a conflict. As you're driving down the road, you keep reliving these conversations in your mind, you're like, what's going on in this relationship? Something in your community? Maybe it's loneliness for you. And as you look on the horizon, you don't see any opportunity for that to change. And it just feels like you're moving backwards. Maybe it's some emotions that you feel like you can't help. Maybe it's despair, maybe it's depression, maybe it's anxiety. What drives you to a place where you feel like you are completely and totally out of control? Maybe it's some health issues. Maybe it's a loved one who's sick. Maybe it's grief from loss. We call these moments the storms of life. These are the storms of life. And today, as we're back in Acts, the Apostle Paul is going to go through a real life storm. 
And he, this is a textbook chapter on what it looks like to lead through these storms. In fact, the Apostle Paul, as a prisoner on the ship, is going to do so masterfully as he leads a moment that we would say he is out of control. He has no control, and yet he steps up as a leader. And so in Acts chapter 27, we're going to talk about how to stay sailing in the storms of life and learn from Paul's example. Obviously, this is a descriptive text. It's a historical narrative, but we're going to learn from Paul's example as we move through this text. Now, I need to, it's been a while since we've been in Acts, right? This was long before Easter, and so I just need to remind you of where we were in chapter 25 and 26. And so before that, Paul is in Jerusalem. He's preaching the gospel. Some guys come over from Ephesus and cause quite a, an uproar. They, they stir the crowd into a commotion, and then they point to Paul and say, he did it. And then the, the Romans come and say, hey, what are you doing right now? They arrest Paul. They don't really know why. And then he goes on trial before the Sanhedrin before Festus, okay? And then he goes uh, to Caesarea and appears before Felix and Agrippa. And, and ultimately, these men are like, hey, he's innocent. But see, God has this plan that he wants Paul to go to Rome, the epicenter of culture at, culture at the time. And so Paul says, hey, I appeal to the emperor of Rome. I want to talk to the emperor of Rome and I'm gonna use my citizenship to get there. And so they say, hey, this guy is innocent, but he's appealed to the emperor, off to Rome, you will go. And that's really where we pick up today in Acts chapter 27. It is the journey from Caesarea to Rome. Now to put this into perspective, how long of a journey this would be, this would be like setting sail from the port of Galveston to Venezuela, or to go from Galveston to Puerto Rico. Now, on a boat, that's how long this journey is there from a Jerusalem area to, uh, to Rome. And so let me just kind of tell you, I'm going to walk you through uh, verses 1 through 8 here in, in chapter 27. But I want you to know this is a really graphic, in the best way, vivid text. In fact, historians and archaeologists have studied this uh, text to, to learn about uh, first century marit maritime seamanship. They, like people who don't believe in our God have opened the Bible to this text just to learn what it looked like to sail at this time. It's so graphic with so many details. And so as we move through it, we're gonna talk about what it looks like to be steady in the storm, to seek who is sovereign in the storm, and how we should not stop in the storm. And so what, what happens here is uh, Paul leaves Caesarea area and he goes up around the island of Cyprus. Here's a map. Okay, so he sets it, a sail there. He goes up around that island of Cyprus over to Myra. Okay, now at Myra, here's what's going to happen there is he's going to change ships. They're going to get on an Alexandrian grain ship. It'd be about 133 feet long, about 44 feet wide. Don't think about like the Sea of Galilee and Jesus and his buddies on a little boat. This is a big ship, okay? 276 people are on this ship. Who's on this ship is Paul, uh, some prisoners, some soldiers, some sailors, some merchants who would be sailing, selling grain. It's a grain ship. And then there's a man, a centurion named Julius. He's a good guy. He likes Paul. For whatever reason, Paul has favor with him, probably because Festus said, hey, this guy, this prisoner going with you, he's innocent. But he appealed to Rome, and so we're sending him off to Caesar. Um, take good care of him. 
And so for whatever reason, this centurion, centurion just means a, a man who's over 100 soldiers. He has favor with Paul. And so he's on there. And then what's really weird is we start to see we in this chapter a lot. We, 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 which means Luke is back in the picture. Remember, he left earlier on, but he's back now in Acts chapter 27. He's on the boat with Paul, and so is Aristarchus, Paul's buddy Aristarchus. Now, this is strange that Paul, a prisoner, would get to bring his community group with him. That's, just, that's not normal, but, but the reason is maybe because they would come up under him and say, hey, we're his slaves. Where he goes, we go. But you just see the bond of friendship here. Now, if we could go back to this map, what's gonna happen in this chapter, so this is where we pick up here in Myra, and they're going to go up to Canidus and then down to the island of Crete, all right? Now, this is where there's just, it's not a good time to sail. Storms are coming in. They land there at Fairhavens. Paul's like, hey, you need to stop, but they say, no, we're gonna try to make it to Phoenix, but when they try to go to Phoenix, all things go awry and they start, you know, dancing around the Mediterranean Sea. And they're ultimately going to make it to that tiny, tiny island of Malta. That's where we're going to end the chapter today. But most of the narrative is going to take place where they're lost at sea there in the Mediterranean Sea. Let's start in, in verse 9. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was uh, after the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement would happen in late September or early October. Okay, if this is 59 AD, like most historians believe uh, that it was, uh, the Day of Atonement would have been October 5th. So long into, this is why this is in there, so that you would know what time they're sailing. You could not sail after September 15th. It was considered very, very dangerous. The Romans said to sail after November is suicide. Literally, the Mediterranean Sea ceases to have any ships on it whatsoever in November and through the winter months. So what they're doing right now is they're looking to a place to tie up for winter, and they don't want to stay in fair havens because that's kind of a dump, and, and they're trying to make it to Phoenix. So Paul warned them. Men, <clears throat> keep in mind, he's a prisoner on the ship. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, this is Julius, instead of listening to what Paul, the prisoner, said, followed the advice of the pilot of the ship and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both the southwest and, and the northwest. So they're on the lee side of Crete, which means the non-windy side of Crete. They're trying to use the island to block them, but the wind is about to change, um, change directions here. Now to go from Fair Havens to Phoenix is only 75 miles, but Paul is no stranger to the sea. This is where he grew up. This was his highway that he traveled on growing up. And he's looking out there. And keep in mind, he's been shipwrecked three times. Second Corinthians chapter 11 tells us this. So this guy's a pro in this situation. He's looking up and he's saying, hey guys, we need to not go any further. This is a bad idea. But how do you stay sailing in the storms of life? We can learn from Paul's example. First point is to stay steady in the storm. Stay steady in the storm. What do I mean by stay steady? I mean remain calm and be faithful. He says, I was, so he's here and he's completely, 
under control. Con contrast that to me on that boat. Remember me earlier? I was panicked. I was like, what am I gonna do? Hey, where we're going? I'm never gonna see my family again. But you see Paul here, he's completely under control. And so in life, there are things that you can't control and there are things that you can control. Focus on the things you can control. Focus on the things that you can control. It's like, God, hey, you are sovereign. You love me. You're sovereign over the enemy. You're sovereign over my life. You're sovereign over my work situation. You're sovereign over my children. God, you have a plan for me. I'm gonna focus on what I can control. Paul can't control the weather. He can't control their response. The majority voted, hey, you should not go on. He said, hey, I'm gonna keep going. He says, guys, if we can't go this way, we're going to get hurt. Hey, here, here's what I want you to know. You don't judge obedience in life by the outcome. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying there? Like Paul could have said, hey, these guys, they're not gonna listen to me. They, like, who am I? I'm a prisoner. They don't care what I have to say. But he says, hey, I'm gonna faithfully speak up regardless. This week I was talking to someone who was really hurt by someone in the church. And I, I sat them down and I said, hey, you know what, we turn to Matthew 18, it says, you know what faithfulness looks like. You need to go and tell them that they hurt you. You need to talk to them. And they said, you know what, it's not gonna do any use, they're not gonna listen to me. I said, well, it doesn't matter, that's not how we determine obedience, whether they're gonna listen to you or not, right? We say, hey, God, what does obedience look like? Let me be faithful in that. I need to go tell them that they hurt me. They say, you know what, I just really want this to be behind me anyways. I really just want this to go away. I understand what you want, but God's calling you to something different. Like sometimes, have you ever been watching the news and there's a hurricane coming in and there's a sign, sometimes the news anchor will stand there in the midst of that hurricane and that sign's just getting whipped around, you know, and it's just getting whipped around by the storm, but it's standing in that post and it's saying, hey, this is the way you should go. Like one of those, those black arrows on a yellow background saying, hey, you gotta, you gotta turn here. Sometimes I think Christianity is like us being that sign. Getting whipped around by culture, getting ripped around by situations, getting whipped around by circumstances, saying, hey guys, this is the way you should go. Don't go any further. Hey guys, listen to me. This is the way you should go. So we stay steady in the storm. And says, fellas, I can see that we're about to lose our ship, our cargo, maybe our lives. This is a bad idea. They say, that's interesting, bro. You're a prisoner. I'm going to listen to the owner of the ship and the captain, if that's cool with you. Paul's like, all right, buckle up. Let's go. Verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Gentle south wind comes in. What are these guys doing? They're like, Paul, see, you were wrong. Gentle south wind, that's the dream for a sailor, right? They're like, okay, a little, little bit of wind in the sail, let's go, we're going on. See, Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, but 14. Before very long, a wind of a hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. Now, any control that they thought they had was gone. They are completely at the mercy of the wind, at the currents of the sea, at the ocean. They cannot steer this ship. They are in a hurricane. 
That's what's going on here. They are in that boat on a hurricane, in a hurricane. And as we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. What's going on here? They're there, they're getting tossed to and fro in the ocean. The lifeboat is there. It's like boom, 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 banging against the ship. They say, hey, we gotta bring that on top of the ship. They go and they get that and then they do what's called frapping the ship. They take ropes and they start to tie the ropes around the ship to hold it together so that the ship they're on doesn't break apart in the ocean. They're literally, it's like they're getting duct tape and just mummifying the ship so that they can keep sailing. This is crazy. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. Syrtis is known as a ship graveyard. In fact, today archaeologists have found shipwreck after shipwreck in these sand dunes there, okay? You would see anchors, anchor, anchor, shipwreck. Because sailors at this time before the ship when they thought they were gonna wreck, they would begin to drop anchors to try to slow it down. And, and so this is what's going on here. This is where they're at here at this ship graveyard. It says, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. Why did they keep going? Because it's a merchant ship, a grain ship. They're driven by profitability. They wanna make money. But in a hurricane, you see what matters, right? In the storms of life, you start to audit things and all of those things that you've been collecting, all of those things that you've wanted, all of those things that you work hard for, you start to throw overboard because it's about survival. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. The tackle, it's the ropes that were used to steer the ship. Do you see, they, they're at the mercy now of the current of the sea to go wherever it pleases. Guys, I don't know if we can fully grasp what's going on here. I'd love to if you'd let me try to put you in this storm with Paul. Can you see the ship and hear the sounds and feel the waves, the waves of the ocean coming up big and, and crashing over the ship? And there they are, can you feel it? I want you to be in this situation. Some of you feel like you're gonna vomit right now. You hear the sounds of the people screaming and yelling. You, you don't know if you're gonna survive. It would have been absolute chaos. People afraid of falling overboard, going from here and there, dancing with the waves. It would have been complete and total chaos for 14 for 14 days they lived in the storm, tossing them from here to there and from there to here. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. <laughs> then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss, but now I urge you to keep up your courage. 
because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now this is the I told you so of all I told you so's, right? That's what it seems like is going on. But here's what I want you to know. It's not a spiteful I told you. It's not like, hey guys, should have listened to me. But no, it's, it's like, it's a hopeful, I told you so. Hey guys, would you listen? Listen, I know the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who numbered the hairs on your head. I have conversations with him. We talk. And I want you to know that none of us are going to get hurt. But we're gonna lose our ship. I mean, it's gonna get hurt. But we're not gonna get hurt. And so remain hopeful, take Courage, men. And so what does it look like to be steady in the storm? It's to seek who is sovereign in the storm. That's my second point. Seek who is sovereign in the storm. Remember that God is the captain of this ship. God is the captain of your life. God is in charge of the wind and the waves and your children and your work and your boss and your marriage and your communities and that conflict. He's sovereign over all of those things. So seek who is sovereign in the storm. Can I take you back to that story that I started with? There I was and I'm, and I'm going backwards on that ship and I'm thinking I'm never gonna see my parents again and I look at my friend and so immediately I grab the wheel and I turn it the other way and nothing happened. It was completely clear that we were out of control. So when I was out of ideas and, and out of resources, I just ran outside to yell for help from the cabin. And so when I went to yell for help, I looked up. And when I looked up, I saw the captain of the ship sitting there at another wheel on top of the boat. <laughs> he was in control the whole time. It was just coincidence that it happened. When I turned the wheel, he was steering the ship the whole time. I know, gave me a heart attack. I mean, he's like, you could have told me, buddy. But, uh, but here's the, can I tell you the swing of emotion that I felt? Like one minute, completely panicked. Completely thinking, hey, I'm going to die. I'm never gonna see my family. What did I do? This is on me. And the next minute, in one second, seeing what was really happening, it was like, peace. Oh, there you are, okay. Let's go fishing. And some of us, we just need to look up and see that God right now is still very much in control of your situation. His hands are still very much on the wheel. He's still very much driving this ship called your life. And so you surrender to him. That's, that's your greatest response to that. You surrender to him. Because the storms in this life, guys, Christians, brothers and sisters of the faith, they're the, your greatest opportunity to show your faith, to display your faith. Like, what is a faith that you don't use in the storms? People come to faith by seeing the faith of others. Like, if you were to talk about how you came to the faith, so many of our stories would involve, man, I just saw somebody who lived like they believed, I say I believe now. I saw somebody who, who held fast to faith in a God, a creator. Do you guys know the name John Wesley? John Wesley, you know, credited for the Methodist church, him and his brother Charles Wesley. So a, a forefather in the faith here 
in America, John Wesley, many writings, uh, theologies accredited to him, uh, John Wesley. In 1735, in 1735, John Wesley was sailing from England to the New World. He's on a boat. Now, this is where he's at in his life. He's already been to seminary. He's been a pastor. He's been a missionary. Uh, He's the chaplain of this particular ship he's on right now. And he's going to the New World, and they ran into a storm themselves. That, That boat ran into a storm. John Wesley was afraid for his life. And on that boat were some German Moravian missionaries that were coming to America to share the gospel with Native Americans. And the Englishmen on the boat were screaming for their lives in horror. John Wesley thought he was going to die, but these Moravian missionaries sat calmly and sang hymns. And he was so confused by that. In fact, they made it through that storm and he found the leader of these missionaries and he just said, what were you doing? Like everyone thought we were going to die, but you guys were just singing hymns. You didn't seem scared at all. And this guy asked him, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? To which he said, of course I do. He was the chaplain of the boat. He was a pastor, a missionary, had been to seminary. Said, of course I do. But that question haunted him because he realized that he lived his life without the faith that he claimed, that he had the faith that he taught. He realized he lived his life without the faith that he instructed for others. So John Wesley points to that conversation as his conversion. After being a pastor, after being a missionary, after going to seminary, he said, when that guy questioned my faith, I believe that's when the Holy Spirit began to work in my life. I began that, I think that's when I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Because people find faith when they observe it in others. See, faith played out in the storm is courage. Do you know that you can't even Have courage unless fear is an option. You can't even grasp for courage. You can't even be called courageous unless unless you're in a storm. There's no courage on a sunny day in smooth seas. For, For courage to be displayed, there has to be a storm. And that courage for us, that we take heart, it's our faith played out, lived out. And so I know that for some of you right now, like, man, I hear you, bro. I hear you. I hear what you're saying, but I, I can't. Like, how do I, I, I don't know what to do. I feel so beat up and, and despairing. What do I do? Can I tell you? That's why this point is seek who is sovereign. It's a verb, seek who is sovereign. Look for him. Let me ask you guys a question. Have you ever been in a place where, where you just knew there was God? Has that ever happened to you where you had a moment, you watched a sermon or you sang a song or you went to a conference or or God showed up in this really big way and and you just, you you left that situation, you just knew God is real, like he's at work and he's sovereign over my life and and I got it correctly. I could have worshiped Allah or Brahma or or any other God, but I worshiped the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I got it right and he loves me and he's got a plan and a purpose for my life. Have you ever had that moment? Have you? As you think about that moment, think about what got you there and prolong it. See, sometimes I think that our part in sanctification, which is God's work in our life, 
that our part in sanctification is to do more of what makes us love God more. And the things that distract us from him, stop it. Don't do that. And so as I say, seek him, you say, well, I don't know what to do. I'm despairing. I don't know what to do. Do the things you know to do. Do the things that when you look backwards have made you loved God. The, the, the books you've read, the sermons you've read, the quiet times you've had, the communities you've set, surrounded yourself, the things that have stirred your affections for God. Go back to that moment when you were on fire for Jesus Christ and ask, what got me there? And do that. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. It's interesting that as experts have studied this text, to go from Crete to the island of Malta in a hurricane, they say, would take 14 days. That at 14 days, you would be three miles from the island of Malta. You see God's sovereignty and reliance and his providence and, and um, just his expertise in this text. They took soundings, which is how you find out how deep the water is, and found out the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep, so it's getting shallower. They, they're like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna crash. Now keep in mind, it's the middle of the night. It's midnight. There's no stars in the sky. They can't see anything. The ocean's throwing them from here to there, and at any moment, they know their boat's gonna be torn apart. They're gonna hit, uh, you know, they're gonna hit a sandbar. They're gonna hit a reef and their boat's gonna be torn apart and they're gonna be tossed into the darkness of the ocean. At any moment, this is the fear that they live with. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. God, would you just make the sun come up? Wait, what, who's praying? Oh, the, the people in the boat are now praying. That's, it's funny that, that God said, hey, Paul, I got something I want you to do. You're gonna get to Rome, and because you're gonna get to Rome, I'm gonna keep everyone safe on that ship. Their salvation in the earthly sense is tied to you. Whose salvation is tied to you? Meaning, who does God want you to save? Where does he have you on a floor, in a building, in a community, in a neighborhood, at a school? Who, whose salvation is tied to you? In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let down the lifeboat into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Now here's so interesting. Remember God said, hey, you're going to be saved. Hey, I'm gonna get you where you need to go. You guys are gonna be safe. But Paul's like, hey, unless they stay on the boat, we're not gonna be saved. He, you see God's sovereignty and man's culpability here, or man's responsibility. Like, he's saying, hey, God said we're gonna get there, but let's not be crazy. Guys, this would be like you're on an airplane and you see the pilot about to jump through the door with a parachute. It's like, hey guys, we don't know how to steer this ship. If we lose the sailors, remember they're soldiers and they're sailors, that Paul sees the sailors pretending to put down some anchors when they're actually about to get on a life boat. And he's like, I see what you're doing, guys. I don't think I'm not on the boat with you. And he's like, hey, centurion man, come here. Julius, listen, do you see what those guys are doing, bro? Those are the sailors and they're lowering the boat and they're about to leave us on this boat to die. And so the soldiers go over to the sailors and they cut down the lifeboat. 
and they let it go. And right here is where you see the first Army-Navy conflict that still exists today. <laughs> Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense. He says, guys, you gotta eat. You've gone without food for 14 days. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. My third and final point is, don't stop in the storm. Don't stop in the storm. What do I mean by that? Keep doing what you know to do in the storm. See, these guys, they got so distracted by the chaos, they forgot to eat. You have to keep doing the basic things of life in the storm because after the storm, you're gonna be left with life and the decisions you make in the storm will be left with you after the storm. Can, can you imagine if these guys starved to death? Like if they survived the storm, but they starved to death? Can you imagine that if these guys died because they didn't have the strength to fight the storm because they stopped eating and the reason they died is not because of the storm but because they stopped eating? Like sometimes in storms, we do what I do when, when I go camping. I hate camping, okay? And so when I go camping, I just kind of give up on life. You know, like I, I stop shaving and I, I, I stop bathing. I'm just like, don't get close to me. We're camping, okay? You know, and I stop, I don't even change clothes. Just like, I'm done with life out here, okay? We'll pick back up with life when we get to civilization. Why are we living in a bag? And, um, and sometimes we do that in storms. Like, oh, this is chaos, it's, it's good. I, you know what, I don't need community right now. I just need to isolate. You know, I'll, I'll start reading my Bible again after the storm. I'll start praying after the storm. I'll get back with church after the storm. No man in the storm, that's when you need those things. Pray more in the storm, seek God more in the storm, seek community, his people more in the storm, rely on the church in the storm, move towards God's people in the storm, resist the enemy's temptation to isolate in the storm. You have to do what you know you need to do in the storm. Maintain the basics. And sometimes in life you need a nap. Sometimes you need a quiet time, a meal, a workout, a healthy routine. That's not sexy, but it's life-saving. To do the things you know to do in the storm. Don't amuse yourself to death in the storm. Don't Netflix, you know, binge watch. Okay, I'm just gonna stay in bed in the storm. That's, that's not gonna help. Remember that morning is coming. These guys got on their knees and they prayed for daylight. Can I give you some good news this morning? Jesus is coming back. What does he do? He gets the clouds out of his way. Splits open the sky. And it's like waking up from a bad dream. You ever had a bad dream? Have you ever had a bad dream that, that it was hard to wake up from? Like, like such a bad dream, you're like, you're, you start to count the, the consequences when you wake up. Was that real? Was it not? Oh, wake up, wake up. Like, like one time I dreamt my, my wife was really, really sick and dying. And when I woke up, it's like, oh no, is she sick? And, oh no, it was a dream. 
And that day I just lived with gratitude for her, right? Because I, I was like, yeah, she's not sick. I'm so grateful for her. I'm so grateful for health, right? When Jesus comes back, it's going to be like waking up from a bad dream, like from a nightmare. You're going to look back on the sickness and disease and the prodigal children and the job loss and the layoff and your concerns for money and resources here. He's going to say, snap out of it. See, all this is yours forever and ever and ever and ever. That, that down there, that was a bad dream. Wake up. Daylight's coming. Morning's coming. Jesus is coming. And can I tell you something else? You're riding a ship to paradise called the cross that doesn't break up in the storm. It's going to get you where you need to go. The salvation of Jesus Christ, when you've trusted in him, assuming you're a brother and sister in the faith, that you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, his death and resurrection is a payment for your sins, then you don't have to go to hell and pay for your sins. You get to be invited in with him into eternity. And so if you do stop in the storm, stop to do what Paul did. Stop to give thanks. Lord, I thank you for the storm. And it seems like he's serving communion here. Like, like those guys would be like, Paul, who could eat at a time like this? And he's like, guys, you don't understand. You can't afford not to eat. You can't afford not to go to community. You can't afford not to, to turn to God. You can't afford not to have a quiet time. You can't afford not to pray right now, not to rest right now. You can't afford not to take care of yourself right now. You've got to prioritize these things. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land. But they saw a bay with a sandy beach. This is known as St. Paul's Bay to this day. Where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea at the time, un, uh, at the time untied the ropes, they held the rudders. Let me read that again. They left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. And the stern, that's the back of the ship, was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But Julius, the centurion's like, guys, you kill the, soldier, the, the prisoners, you gotta kill Paul. I'm not sure we can survive without this guy. Who's in charge here? <laughs> the prisoner, the apostle Paul. The one who's going to appeal to Caesar, he's very much in charge of this ship because his God's in charge of the ship. And this guy, Julius, is like, we can't kill the prisoners because we need that guy. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached safely. 276 people were safe that day. 276, that's a miracle. Luke would have written this with another story in the background, the story, another story of a storm and a ship, story of Jonah. Now for Jonah, in order them to be saved from the storm, they had to throw him overboard. But to be safe from this storm, their salvation their safety is tied to Paul. We need to keep this guy here with us. And so therefore the prisoners were, were saved as well. They're, they're going to be safe as well. But let me point out that at no point did this become easy. 
In fact, next week you're gonna hear that the first thing that happens to Paul on this island is he gets bit by a poisonous snake. Like, when, God, when are you gonna catch a break? When you're with me in heaven. In this world you will suffer. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so in summary, how do we stay sailing in the storm? We be steady in the storm. We seek the one who is sovereign in the storm and we don't stop in the storm. You remember that your God's hands is still very much on this wheel. He's still very much driving this thing. That's what you need to know today. Two weeks ago was my kid's spring break, my daughter's spring break, and so we got to go to a, a friend's lake house. And, and God gave us just a beautiful day to be at a lake house. The, the sky was clear, the sun was out, it was about 85 degrees, all my kids wanted to do was you know, go swimming that day, and I'm like, there's no way we're going to, and lo and behold, it was beautiful. So two of my kids wanted to fish. We were on the dock and we were fishing, Weston and Finley. My daughter, Presley, wanted to go paddleboarding. And so she gets on the paddleboard, puts on her life jacket. And while I'm fishing with these two, which just looked like constantly loading their worms, you know, their hooks up with worms and whatnot, I'm, I'm watching my daughter. Because anytime one of my kids, you know, in any kind of dangerous situation, my eyes are locked and I'm watching her. You know, boats are coming by and going, we're in a really, really big cove. And, and she's drifted almost to the middle of this cove. She's a speck on the horizon. And I'm thinking, okay, Presley, it's about time to come back. You need to come back. And I see her start to try to come back, but there's a, a long crosswind now picking up and it's just carrying her further and further away. I've got no boat. And so I'm thinking, okay, I need some help. And so boats are coming by. I'm like, hey, you got room for one more on there? Can we run a quick errand? I'm, I'm trying to flag down somebody with a boat, you know, and then finally I lock eyes with, with a guy who has a boat. He comes over, and I'm saying, hey, is there any way you could take my family and I to get my daughter? She's on the other side of the lake now, it seems like. She's drifted from a paddleboard. And so we get on this guy's boat, and we go over there, and lo and behold, she is, she's now gotten off on this other shore. She's drifted all the way across the lake. And so we go over there to get her, and the first thing that her siblings ask on this boat is she's getting on, they say, Presley, were you scared? Presley, were you scared? Presley, were you scared? And she looked back and she said, no, I wasn't scared. I knew daddy was watching me. She said, I knew my, I knew my daddy was watching me. I wasn't scared. I knew that if, if he was scared, he'd come for me. Now, she didn't know I was scared, but, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, I'd come for you. She's like, I knew he'd come for me. Why would I be scared if he's not scared? Can I tell you something? God's not scared. He's not concerned. Like he, he's not worried about how to get you out of this storm. He's got a purpose in it. And he's watching you and you can trust him. He's still very much in control. Like if we ever had a time that we should doubt God, wouldn't it be when Jesus was dead on the cross? And he's like, guys, I still got a plan. But God, now he's in a tomb. He's dead in a tomb. Guys, my hand's still on the wheel. I got a plan. Watch this. It's going to be amazing. And if you can trust him with the cross and you can trust him with the tomb, why can't you trust him in your storm? You're going to wake up one day from this bad dream. Stay sailing. Let me pray you would. Father, help my friends stay sailing. Thank you for your word that doesn't return void. Thank you that we can trust you in the storm. Help us to be steady in the storm. Help us to seek who is sovereign in the storm. Father, help us to keep going in the storm, to stay sailing in the storm. And Father, help us to move towards community for help in the storm. We love you so much. We're so grateful 
for this text. We're so grateful for Paul's example, so grateful for what you've done in our lives. We wanna stop and give thanks to you, even in the storm. Acknowledge that you're God and that we're not, even in the storm, especially in the storm. Father, as we worship you, I pray that you would remind us who our anchor is, who our cornerstone is, who our life is built on. It's in Jesus' name, amen.